Thank you for joining us for Working Through the Word, a ministry of the Richmond Church of Christ. Let's join our pulpit minister, Mike Johnson, as he brings today's lesson. Here's a question that maybe you've not been asked before. Where do you keep your idols? Are they in your house? Living room? Maybe they're in the garage. Maybe you don't have room for them and you have them in a storage unit somewhere. Where do you keep your idols? And now everybody's thinking, well, that's just weird. I don't have any idols. I don't have any idols in my house. I don't have any idols in my life. I don't, idol, idolatry, that's a third world thing. That's what happens over there. We're not there. Guess what? Idols are real. And from time to time, every single one of us has them. The question is not where do we keep them? The question is how do we get rid of them? How do we deal with them? How do we keep them from taking over? Because idolatry is real. Open up your Bibles, if you will, to Isaiah 44, the text that was read. And I want you to notice with me a few things concerning the concept of idolatry. This is a, a passage of Scripture that I think gives us a little insight into the humor of God. The way that God likes to say things, and he has a humorous side to him. But he begins with his serious side. Starting in verse number 8. The first thing I want to know and understand about idolatry is this. God is real. Whether anyone wants to believe it or not, whether anyone accepts it or not, God is real. Look at verse 6. God is the only answer to origins. I am the first and the last. Besides me, there is no God. Without the concept of God, without God in existence, there is no way to answer the question, where did all things begin? You just keep going back. Where did that come from? Where did that come from? Where did that come from? Number two, God will take on anybody who wants to challenge him. Verse number seven. Who can proclaim as I do? Let him declare it and set it in order. God says, come on. If you want to challenge me and my existence, come right ahead. I will take you on. And then third, he says, the witnesses have been clear. Verse 8, you are my witnesses. And then he makes his own challenge. I indeed, there is no other rock. I know not one. Is there a God beside me? God says, here it is. 
I am. I'll take on anybody who wants to challenge that. Just look at the evidence. The witnesses have already proclaimed it. And I issue my own challenge to you to prove that I am not who I say I am. God is real. And no matter what anybody says, no matter what anybody thinks, we are people today who believe that God is real. Number two, idols are not real. Wait a minute. I thought you said idols are real. No, they're not. Sort of. The text that was read in verse 9 through 11 says this. There is no real substance to an idol. No real substance at all. In fact, they are just like the people who make them and the people who use them. They're made, and though you can see them, though you can touch them, though you can think about them and talk about them, they're not real. That is, they don't have real substance. Here is the text that contains the humor of God. They don't have real substance, but they are real things, starting in verse 12. The blacksmith with tongs works one in the coals and fashions it with hammers. And he goes on to talk about it. He's, he is hungry. His strength fails. He's thirsty. He needs a drink. Verse 13, the craftsman stretches out his rule. He marks out with a chalk. He fashions it with a plane, with a compass. He makes it like the figure of a man, according to the beauty of a man, that it may remain in the house. Verse 16, he cuts down cedars for himself. He secures for himself the trees of the forest. He plants a pine and he, the rain nourishes it. Go down to verse 16. Then it shall be for a man to burn. He will take some of it and warm himself. Yes, he kindles it and bakes bread. He makes a god and worships it. He makes a carved image and falls down to it. He burns half of it in the fire, and with this half he eats meat. He roasts a roast and is satisfied. He even warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm. I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his carved image. He falls down before it and worships it, prays to it, and says, Deliver me. You are my God. And then in his place... I wonder if God just laughs. Think about it. Would anybody actually do that? Would anybody actually take a piece of wood and use it to make his food and the other part of it to make his God? Idols have no real substance, but 
You know what the problem with idols is? The damage and the effect they have on those who use them. Verse 18, they do not know nor understand. He has shut their eyes so they cannot see, their hearts so they cannot understand. No one considers in his heart, nor is there knowledge or understanding to say, I have burned half of it in the fire. Yes, I've also baked bread on its coals. I've roasted meat and eaten it. And shall I make the rest of it for an abomination? Shall I fall down before a block of wood? He feeds on ashes. A deceived heart has turned him aside. He cannot deliver his soul nor say, Is there not a lie in my right hand? Idolatry affects the mind of the idolator. They become deceived. They buy into it. They think that really there is substance there when there is no substance. And even in our day and time in other countries where people really do bow down to images, they are deceived. And they are claiming something to have power and substance that has neither. God is real. Idols are not real. But idols represent reality. We all have idols from time to time. We're not talking about little images that you put on a shelf. We're not talking about grand statues that people fall down before and kiss. But people have idols. Let's think for just a minute about the concept of idolatry that we face. First, Notice the words of 2 Peter chapter 1. Starting in verse 2, Peter says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as His divine power has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. Peter says, God claims to give us all things that we need for life and godliness. He will provide everything we need for this life and for the life that will get us to that life. God is our provider. But idols are the substitute provider. God said, I'll meet all your needs. I'll take care of everything you need. But idols say, no, we'll do it. 
Look at verse 4. By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you might be the partakers of divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lusts. The idols that we have, they're not wrong. In and of themselves, they're not a problem. But they become a problem when we seek to have our needs met in them primarily rather than through God. And what corrupts caring for our needs? Turning the needs into a lust. And then we have a problem. You might want to go back to Isaiah 44. And as I bring out these idols, you might look at those verses where God just laughs. Again, God provides our needs. Primary provider. Idols are the substitute provider. So what are our idols? Our jobs can become our idols. Because we might count on them and praise them for having met all of our needs. What did Jesus say in Matthew 6 and verse 11 in that prayer that he gave? He told the people, pray in this prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Does our job not give us daily bread? Certainly it does. But the difference is, is the job what I praise and worship? Or should I and do I praise the God who allows me to have the job to take care of the things that I need in this life? Our jobs can become an idol in place of God. Number two, our good works, the things that we do that are so good, they can be that that provides my self-worth. My purpose in life. To do what? Good works. I have a purpose. Isaiah said in Isaiah 64, all of our works are like filthy rags. 
In other words, there's value in them, but there's no value in them to take the place of God. My purpose does not come from, I have done good works. My purpose here is to serve God. And in serving God, I do good works. But what do I praise? The works or the God I serve? Good works can be an idol. Success can be an idol. Success can be an idol that says, here is my value. This is my self-worth. This is who I am. Look, I'm successful. Well, there's nothing wrong with being successful. Truth of the matter is, God wants us to be successful. He wants us to do well. And yet, when success becomes the idol to say, this is my value, we have a problem. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 10, By the grace of God, I am what I am. What is my value? Made in the image of God. What is my value? Serving the Lord. And for whatever success I have in this life, the primary focus is to serve God. Be a success, absolutely. But don't praise and value yourself because of the success. Value and praise God who gives you your value. And God laughs. Rule keeping can be an idol. Rule keeping can be an idol. In other words, I'm able to say, I did this, I did this, I did this, I got this right, I know this is right, I'm right. Look, this is what makes me righteous. I've kept all the rules. In Colossians chapter 2, Paul said that that's the world's philosophy, vain philosophy. Sure, there are rules to keep, but the concept is do I keep the rules in order to be righteous? Or do I keep rules because I am righteous? The difference is when the rules define my righteousness and my keeping of them, then I am worshiping them. I am worshiping that. But when I look to God to be righteous and out of respect and love for Him making me right, I keep His rules. That is true worship of God. Logic, reason, 
And argumentation can be an idol. When it is the basis of our faith, it becomes an idol. Our faith is not relegated to how many good arguments can you make? How logical are your conclusions? When I look at what idols did and what idols were, how can I say, oh, wait a minute. I made a really good argument, so it must be right. Paul made a statement to us. We walk by faith and not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 7. It doesn't mean that we don't have arguments. It doesn't mean that we don't say the things that are logical and true and reasonable. What it means is that we don't spend our time praising the argument process. But we praise God, who is a reasonable and logical being. Why then would we be anything else? Obviously in our world, sex is an idol. It is the idol that people use and say, this defines intimacy. We all want Intimacy. We want closeness. We want relationship. God made us for that purpose with Him. But the world has defined it by saying, oh, if you really want to understand relationship, you really want to understand intimacy, then sex is the answer, whether you're married or not. Even in marriage, it can be an idol that takes away from the God-given intimacy that he wants us to have. Remember the Hebrew writer said in chapter 13 in verse 4, marriage is honorable among all people, but adulterers and fornicators God will judge. And God laughs. Entertainment can be an idol. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 3 and in verse 10, Whatever my eyes beheld, I did not withhold from them. Whatever I wanted to do, I enjoyed it. It was great. I loved it. I had a great time. And I got all this. Oh, it was great. And he comes along later and he says, It is vanity. If entertainment is what makes you happy, if entertainment is what provides you joy, then you have a hollow life. There's nothing wrong with entertainment. There's nothing wrong with having a good time and enjoying things and laughing and playing games and being a part of stuff. Nothing wrong with it at all. But when we fall down and bow down before the God of entertainment, we miss what is real joy and real happiness, regardless of what's going on in life.
politics and the government can be an idol. Do we think we find peace in the government? Is it going to be possible that through the political process we will somehow be able to find peace? We've not found peace in any political party, in any political appointment, in any political office. They can't provide peace. God provides the peace. Oh, yes, we're supposed to honor the government. We're supposed to obey the government and to do what the government says that we're to do. But that's not why we are at peace. Listen to this phrase from the psalmist, chapter 29, verse 10. The Lord sat enthroned at the flood. And the Lord sits as king forever. You know what the psalmist said? When the whole world was in chaos and falling apart because of the flood, God was ruling. He didn't leave. And today, if we think the world is in chaos and falling apart... He still sits enthroned forever. We don't worship the government in politics. We worship God. He tells us to obey. Finally, our military can be an idol. I appreciate anybody who has served in any capacity for the physical security of our country. And we ought to appreciate that. But we should never worship the military. We should never worship those who serve. It is not the military that will give us security. It's God. I found another interesting phrase in Proverbs 21 and verse 31. Listen to what the Proverbs writer said. The horse is prepared for the battle, but deliverance is of the Lord. We should be prepared for a battle. We should be prepared for whatever might happen, no doubt. But it's God who will give the deliverance, and it's God whom we worship, and it's God whom we serve, not our military. All of these things are idols that have been corrupted by the lust of the flesh to think that in them we find what we're looking for. And God just laughs.
I hope today that we have been impressed with the idea that for us to look down on those third world countries that have those images that they worship and think about how much holier we are than they, we too have our idols. And we must overcome them. God sits enthroned. And he's ready to serve and help and be a part of all of our lives when we give them to him. Today, if in this room there's someone who's not given his or her life to the Lord, why not be immersed today and be a part of that family and move away from what the world offers as idols? Today, if we can pray for you and help you in any way, we're here as we stand and sing together. We hope you enjoyed today's broadcast brought to you by the Richmond Church of Christ. We are located at 1500 Lancaster Road in Richmond, Kentucky. We meet on Sunday mornings for Bible class at 9 a.m., followed by our morning worship service held at 10 a.m. Our Sunday evening service is held at 6 p.m., and our midweek Bible study is held on Wednesday at 7 p.m. If you are in the area, we would love to have you as our honored guest. Thanks for listening.